coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. So our bodies are really, really smart. They have, you know, they have amino acid protein needs. They have micronutrient, vitamin and mineral needs. If I'm, I don't care how many calories I eat, if I'm not hitting what my body naturally needs, it's going to tell me to eat more. So, you know, it doesn't matter what the, you know, carb load is or calorie count or whatever on those box keto foods, we overeat them because they're not naturally satiating. But a massive bowl of kale and steak and avocados and olives and olive oil and feta cheese and this massive, you know, salad, beautiful concoction, that'll keep me full for hours. I'm not going to overeat that. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed registered dietitian and author Molly Devine. Molly has years of experience specializing in adult weight management, integrative and functional nutrition, diabetes management, food allergies and sensitivities, wellness education, and customized meal planning. We discussed Molly's journey into keto, what a clean way of eating keto is, some of her favorite foods, keto and gut health, some common keto mistakes, and her one tip to get your body back to what it once was. So I really enjoyed meeting and interviewing Molly Devine. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I have a great guest today, Molly Devine. She's a registered dietitian and author. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And I was noticing you have published seven books. Is that right? I have. Uh, the seventh will be coming out next month and all uh, nutrition related. Many of them do have a ketogenic dietary approach uh, topic, but for a multitude of different conditions and reasons. Okay. Yeah. And, and my thought going into this was to talk a lot about keto uh, because it's something we, I touch on my, on my show quite a bit, but uh, we never really had, we never really go deep into it. So I figured you'd be a good guest to do that with. And uh, maybe before we get into that, explain how you got into keto and, um, and then how you got working with clients out of your dietitian and things like that. So, yeah. Um, so interesting kind of story. I came to nutrition and dietetics a little bit, uh, second career in life. Um, I actually hold a, a bachelor's of science in language and linguistics from Georgetown university, okay. which is very unrelated to nutrition. Um, I, about mm, a decade ago, um, was kind of at a crossroads in life and trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up and uh, started actually a catering business out of my home. Um, I was a single mom with two young kids at the time and uh, really wanted to find something that I could work from home and do on my own. I always loved food and cooking and I really believe strongly in sustainable ingredients, locally sourcing these things. And through that whole process, I had a lot of clients that were asking me about specific dietary needs. You know, they need to be gluten-free or they were looking for low carb. I had no idea what gluten was at the time, to be honest. Um, and so as I started kind of researching some of these things, I was like, wow, there's a whole profession out there 
that focuses on good, healthy food, nutrition, you know, addressing healthy lifestyle through what we eat. So went back to school, uh, became a registered dietitian, which is a little bit of a process, but, um, and then always knowing that when I went into this field, I wanted to have my own private practice and I wanted to have the focus be on uh, food. So I kind of, you know, say I'm a food forward dietitian. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to go to a dietitian. They're going to tell me I can eat nothing but, you know, lettuce and, um, <laughs> you know, rice cakes for the rest mm. of my life. But <laughs> I believe food should taste good. I believe that food is the best medicine that we have. So I really like to empower my clients to be able to, yes, live a healthy lifestyle, but focus on the food part. So that's how I became a dietitian. Um, and I... Uh, I swim regularly. I was a competitive swimmer growing up and um, swim every day out at, out at our club pool and ran into a friend of mine who was working for a, this was about mm, six years ago, a uh, ketogenic supplement startup company. Mm. And he asked me to write some recipes for their website, ketogenic recipes. And of course, as a dietitian, I knew what the ketogenic diet was. It was not as mainstream as it is today. Um, I had never experienced it personally or promoted it with any of my patients um, at the time. And so, you know, like anything, I believe in hands-on. If I'm going to write ketogenic recipes, I need to start eating ketogenic food. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I experimented with, you know, recipe development. I lived keto for probably a solid four weeks before I really kind of wrote some of the recipes. And in that time, um, I, do, I, I suffer from an autoimmune condition. I have autoimmune thyroid disease. Um, I've had that since I was a child. And along with that, I have a lot of other autoimmune um, side effects or, or symptoms. And many of, uh, one, one of the, my biggest symptoms at the time was just poor gut health, um, bloating, just uncomfortable after eating. And it didn't matter what dietary intervention I had tried. I just never really found relief. And in this period of time, my little self-experiment trying to figure out what ketogenic diet meant, um, I had complete relief of symptoms. Mm. So, I was like, wow, you know, not only did I have improved energy and felt great, um, was able to continue with my swimming, my performance improved, my gut health completely turned, did a 180. I felt so much better. Um, so with that, I became a convert of the positive effects of the ketogenic diet and started promoting that with a lot of my client base. I do practice uh, nutrition counseling. I do most of it via telehealth with clients nationwide. Not all of my clients are on a ketogenic diet. I don't believe it's a great fit for everyone. Um, it's not sustainable for everybody in the long term, but I think it's a wonderful solution to a lot of health concerns and medical problems. Um, and it can be, you know, a saving grace for a lot of people. So that's kind of how I got into it. The more that I started working with clients um, and helping guide them through a well-formed ketogenic diet, I became um, I became very focused on the difference between because at the same time keto was becoming mainstream. There's a lot of keto on the internet. There's a lot of resources out there. There's Facebook pages, and there's a lot of well, uh, I'm sorry, uh, misinformation out there. Um, so I became very, very 
uh, a big advocate for a heart healthy, like real foods based um, ketogenic approach that doesn't just mean going by the McDonald's drive through and taking the bun off your hamburger and not eating the French fries, but really looking at quality of nutrition, um, because I do believe that that makes a real big difference. So that's when I started uh, writing some of these books and just kind of sharing my, my journey and my beliefs and my approach, um, which is, which has had great success. Yeah. And maybe for the listeners, what's your explanation of a, uh, a keto diet? Yeah, good question. Um, so I, I like to think of it as like more of a way of eating versus diet. Um, and really looking at lower carbohydrates, so very low carbohydrates, high heart, healthy, good heart, healthy fats Mm -hmm. and moderate proteins. So what that means is majority of what you're eating are, you know, carbohydrates coming from vegetables, mainly those non-starchy vegetables, some low sugar fruits like berries, tomatoes, avocados, (coughs) excuse me. Um, But really having that focus on those non-starchy vegetables as your main source of carb, Mm -hmm. high in those heart healthy fats. So things like olive oil, avocados, nuts and seeds, fatty fish. Um, even good quality mayonnaises, which are a nice unsaturated fat and then moderate quality protein sources. So, you know, including all the proteins, animals, um, see, you know, seafood, dairy, uh, eggs. Um, but, but really looking at quality is so much more important than focusing just on your percentages and grams and numbers all of the time. Okay. Yeah. That's a, Great way to explain it. What would you say? I know you talked about gut health and how you got relief when you went to the keto diet. I know that some people have gut issues for a lot of different reasons, right? What can you pinpoint exactly what gave you relief? Um, I know you mentioned the keto diet, but anything specifically that you eliminated or, um, added. Yeah. Good question. So without kind of diving too deep into that, cause that could be an entire another hour that we, <laughs> we could talk about. Um, Gut health, so, so when people experience, you know, typical poor gut symptoms, right? So bloating, whether it's constipation or diarrhea, sometimes it's more GERD or indigestion higher up, um, usually happens because of a, a dysbiosis of, of the gut. So an imba- a, a, a imbalance of gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. So in our gut, we have good and bad bacteria. They both have to exist. That's fine. But, but proper balance is about 20% bad guys and like 80% good guys. So these good guys are the army that they keep the bad guys at bay. And when the bad guys get bigger, they start to take over the good guys army. Um, and that can happen for a multitude of reasons. So that can be environmental. It can be because of antibiotics that kill off good bacteria. It can be, you know, lifelong poor nutrition. Um, it's more common in women than men, especially as we age. So, you know, my personal journey didn't really have problems until, you know, mid thirties into my forties. Um, birth control is a big one. That's the one reason that it affects women more. Also, it can, um, disrupt your gut health. Um, but, uh, so, so what happens when we have more of these bad bacteria than good bacteria, now we have all these symptoms, bad bacteria eat sugar. So 
I like to use the analogy, so a lot of this bad bacteria or yeast-like growth, um, when you bake bread and you have dry yeast, how do you activate it? You put it in warm, wet environments and you give it food, like in the form of you know sugar or honey or whatever. And it bubbles, it gurgles, it grows, it multiplies, it gets bigger. Same thing happens in your gut. So when we are constantly having these sugars, processed carbs, even good healthy carbohydrates like whole grains or starchy vegetables like potatoes, that is food for the bad bacteria. So the more that we eat of those things, the more that we feed it, it bubbles, gurgles, and grows, and it's continuing to kill off the good guys. So the reason a ketogenic diet helps for gut health it starves off those bad guys. You're not giving it any of that glucose or carbohydrate food. They have no fuel source, they die off, and it allows you to um, re-inoculate your system with the good bacteria. Yeah, okay, that's a good way of putting it. Because I know like with gut health, you know, sometimes seeds and nuts can cause issues for people. Even sometimes plant foods can cause uh, issues. Do you ever find yourself with some clients maybe having to cut those out? Even dairy, right, can, can cause issues. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's a difference between a food intolerance, so actually having an intolerance to a food, which has nothing to do with my gut bacteria, um, or a food allergy. And, or, you know, saying, oh, like, you know, kind of, maybe it's the nuts, maybe it's the dairy, maybe it's it. So I, work, I have a lot of clients that come to me so frustrated. Mm. They've been diagnosed with, you know, blanket IBS right? Which is basically a medical term of we have no idea what your problem is. <laughs> um, yeah. And they're frustrated because it's hard to pinpoint the one thing. And it feels like, you know, everything I eat is causing me discomfort or is it this or is it that? And my belief is that when we have this dysbiosis of the gut, everything causes a problem. So even like the nuts, which, which wouldn't normally cause a problem are causing a problem because I have this, you know, it, it's a core, it's broken. Hmm. So my, my goal with when I work with people on gut health is healing their guts, looking at that root cause and getting to the place where I can tolerate anything because my core is fixed and healthy. And so now, now, again, different than a, a true food intolerance. So if somebody truly has an intolerance to dairy, that's something that we can, we can eliminate. But my goal with everybody is to eliminate as few things as possible. Um, because I think it can be this mind game of now I'm afraid to eat anything because I have no idea what it is that's causing me my pain. Right. And, you know, we talk about like elimination diets and obviously with, with carnivore eating, that's become like the ultimate elimination diet. Would that maybe be a place to start and then, and then maybe add in some foods after that and, and, and figuring out, well, what was causing that or letting the gut heal for, well, let's just say, I don't know how long it could take a gut to heal. Probably, probably depends on how long that person has been eating. Let's just say a standard American diet as to how long it's going to take them to heal. But would starting with something where like the, almost like the ultimate elimination diet, like the carnivore, um, and then sort of slowly adding back, uh, foods, uh, on top of that. Yeah. So, um, good, good question. I, I think that, um, I, I would start rather than a true carnivore diet, which does, which does eliminate a lot of those plant-based foods. So those, you know, 
mainly it's, it's non-starchy vegetables. And that, those are so micronutrient dense, so our vitamins and minerals, I like to try to keep those in as much as possible. So I would start, the place I would start would be more of um, a, like pulling out all carbs, all sugars, again, not, not the non-starchy vegetable carbs, but. Um, Can you list and, some non, what are your favorite non-starchy vegetables? Yeah. So <laughs> greens, so leafy greens, you know, whether okay. my favorite one is arugula. So arugula is one of the most micronutrient dense foods out there. It has a nutrition profile that's almost on par with um, organ meats, which is, you know, the big, the big benefit of eating organ meats is it has all those vitamins and minerals. Arugula mm. has a close profile to those. Um, spinach, you know, kale, those types of things. I love um, any, any time that there's more color. So things like eggplant or um, bell peppers that have nice color to them. Um, you know, even tomatoes that on a ketogenic diet in smaller amounts. Um, asparagus and broccoli and cauliflower. So the main starchy vegetables are going to be like your tubers, right? So potatoes, sweet potatoes, even um, winter squash, things like, you know, acorn, butternut, pumpkin, those are a little bit higher in the carbs. Beans and legumes um, are, are a starchy vegetable and corn, so, and peas. So those are kind of like, I, I avoid those and then everything else is in, is in the category of things to enjoy. Um, okay. But I do think, yeah, I mean, with the gut health, like eliminating those triggers of, of kind of feeding the bad bacteria and seeing if that, you know, it, usually my protocol is about two weeks to see if there's an improvement in symptoms. If everything's going great, I'm feeling better. I don't feel the need to, to, to remove anything else. If there's still sensitivity to maybe something like dairy or, you know, yeah, you can kind of, you can, you can become more restrictive as necessary, but I don't start there. Okay. Yeah. So you start with more like, um, <clears throat> meats, fishes, things like that. Um, quality meat, wild fish, and then non-starchy vegetables. And if those things, cause you know, spinach and kale can cause issues for people, especially if you're not cooking and you're eating it raw. Um, then if, if, if that's still not helping, then you might maybe eliminate some of those, um, as well and get more restrictive, but you start sort of less restrictive and then maybe curtail it if need be. Correct. And, and kind of the main focus is on those good, heart, healthy fats. So including like, you know, the olive oil, the nuts, the seeds, right. avocados, those types of things as well. Gotcha. So what are your favorite things to cook in? Uh, my favorite dishes or? Oh, like what do you use to cook in? Cause I, I know that like you want to use, um, certain oils, well, obviously not vegetable <laughs> oils, right? So you're, you're cooking your, most of your food in, in what type of oils? Olive oil is my go-to for everything. So um, we go through a vat of olive oil in our house. Um, so olive oil is my go-to. Avocado oil is also an amazing cooking oil. It has a very high smoke point. It's great. Um, it's just more expensive. So I tend to use that more for finishing, you know, for the flavor or if I'm making dressings. Um, but my go-to is olive oil. You're correct. Avoiding the vegetable oils, you know, canola, soybean oil, corn oil, those types, they're more pro-inflammatory. They're higher in omega-6s versus 3s. Um, I do use uh, coconut oil or butter on occasion, more for flavor. And so the reason being is coconut and butter are both saturated fats. Um, not that that's a bad thing at all. Uh, but you always want to have higher unsaturated fat intake versus saturated for just positive lipid panel. Um, 
what I kind of, because I, I have a lot of clients that will come to me with dyslipidemia, which means, you know, basically it's high cholesterol um, or an imbalance in their lipids. And we have total cholesterol, we have LDL, which is our bad cholesterol, and HDL, which is our good cholesterol. We want our HDL to be through the roof, that's heart protective, and our LDL to be lower. LDL gets elevated because of saturated fats. So somebody that has been consuming, you know, a mecca of, of coconut oil and, you know, butter and dairy, their LDL is going to be higher. That does not mean that that is unhealthy. That does not mean that that's a problem. And that's something, I mean, we can kind of go into that. But there's a lot of just general practitioners that will say, oops, LDL is high. You need to go on a statin. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for my, which, which I'm very anti, um, unless absolutely medically necessary. And so for the clients that come to me to try to improve their lipid panel through nutrition, I'm like, we need to have more unsaturated fats than saturated fat in your diet. So your go-to needs to be those olive oils. Use coconut when you want Indian flavor or Thai flavor for the coconut flavor, not just as a go-to. Gotcha. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about that you know, with LDL, I think it's all context related. If the person is healthy and metabolically flexible and, you know, doesn't have insulin resistance and things like that, then having a higher LDL is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Well, and, and particle size is the biggest thing there. Um, and, and so when you look at your, your standard lipid panel, it has total cholesterol, LDL, HDL, and triglycerides. Those are the, those are the main things. Now, some some people will have kind of more of a breakdown. You look at, you know, ratios on there. Sometimes particle size will be on there. But um, triglycerides truly are one of the highest risk factors for cardiovascular disease. So an elevated triglyceride is, is a bigger risk factor than a higher LDL. Why are triglycerides elevated? Sugars and carbs. So, you know, I see uncontrolled diabetics with their triglycerides are through the roof. But calming down the carbohydrate and sugar in their diet brings that back down to a normal range. And so when we look at, yeah, LDL in and of itself, animal fat, saturated fat is not a problem. It's when saturated fat is combined with those refined carbs to create these very small, dense LDL particles that can stick together and cause blockage. Right. So yes, I mean, that's, again, that's a topic for another conversation, but, but unfortunately, a lot of traditional medical providers don't dig that deep and they just say LDL is in the bad range. You need a drug because it's easier for them to prescribe that than to talk about lifestyle change. Right. Yeah, totally agree. And, um, uh, what, what are your, uh, what, what are your like top favorite keto foods that you like to use with your clients? I know you mentioned a few already, but yeah. Um, avocados are my favorite. <laughs> and yeah, so that's like one thing when I, when I work with people like, so how do you feel about avocados? <laughs> right. I know. Um, and if they don't I, like avocado, cause I love avocado, but some people don't, um, even some though I feel, people don't, you know. I, I get that. I don't a lot. Yeah. So, um, again, I love, um, I say like nuts and seeds, I kind of put them in the same category. Pumpkin seeds are one of my favorite go-tos, uh, not only for flavor, they're great sprinkled on salads or, you know, yogurt or whatever. Um, but they're very anti-inflammatory. So that's one of my favorite ways to get good heart, healthy fat in there. Olive oil. Again, I mean, you can't, you can't use too much of that. Sorry to interrupt my, my one question on olive oil is because I've heard some differing things on that is that the, the smoke point isn't as high and, and you should almost use it as a dressing as opposed to cooking in, 
Um, I've heard that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I don't, I don't buy super fancy, you know, extra virgin cold pressed, you know, the $50 bottle of olive oil and cook with that. Cause you are correct. You lose a lot of that amazing flavor when you cook it off with a, with a, you know, higher heat. Um, but there's no negative health implication to using olive oil to higher heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tend to just buy your regular, you know, regular olive oil. My favorite go-tos are either Spanish olive oil or Greek olive oil. So I, I, I tend to kind of default to those. Um, and then I use the fancy ones for the flavor for finishing. I also gotcha. don't cook at super high heat. I'm not, you know, necessarily right. trying to fry food at that. So kind of sticking at that medium. Um, you also just have to be careful too. When, when, the, when the oil's in the pan by itself at a really high heat, you're going to get all that smoke. So I don't let that oil sit for too long in the pan by itself. Make sure that you're getting your food in there earlier. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Um, But going back to your favorite keto foods. Okay. Yeah. So Um, avocado, what about olives? Love olives. Um, You know, that those are great. Like Kalamata olives are my favorite just for that nice salty. I add those and actually had those in my salad today. Um, I love fish, obviously. So, you know, big fan of, of salmon. Uh, we eat that at least once a week usually, but really all the fish. Um, I, I don't exclude anything there. Aiming for, um, you know, avoiding farm-raised seafood just for kind of that health profile also and, and inflammatory markers. Um, we eat all the, you know, all different types of meat as well. So, you know, beef, pork, chicken, I don't exclude anything there either. But Vegetables are a huge, huge, huge part of, of our diet, um, and, you know, my diet specifically. And kind of with keto, you know, there's a, a fear of vegetables sometimes because it is a carb. And so if I'm putting all of my calculations into a, you know, carb manager or some sort of app and I'm looking at my grams of carbohydrate, people freak out about those vegetable carbs. Um, however, like I said, they are full with the micronutrients, right? They're volumizing good, healthy, natural fiber. Um, so I really advocate for getting all of your carbs from like natural foods, right? So what I mean by that is, yes, non-starchy vegetables have carbohydrates, which is mostly all fiber. Nuts have carbohydrates, which is mostly all fiber. You know, some dairy has carbohydrates, lactose. But looking at carb, carbs from those sources versus you know, keto, keto granola from keto, the gr- yeah. <laughs> keto ice cream, keto. Bar, it's amazing. It's keto. just, yeah, it's a big marketing thing, you know, it's a massive marketing thing. And so I, I work more with, um, total carbs versus net for that very reason, because pe- someone said, Oh, I only had 10 net carbs, but you ate, you know, 80 total carbs from filler junk food from the grocery store. Right. Right. And so I kind of take that carb phobia away. If you're focusing on real foods, your body is processing through kale so much better than it is low carb tortillas. I promise. Right. So we hear it all the time. Whole foods, (laughs) whole foods, foods that, that, uh, you know, aren't in a box or don't have an expiration date per se, or actually do have an expiration date. They're probably, (laughs) they will rot. Right. Exactly. If you don't eat them within a few days, they go bad pretty much. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Not like a Twinkie. Like, well, and, and, you know, I think there's a, 
I'm going to probably butcher it because it's off the top of my head here, but there's a great um, Michael Pollan quote uh, that I think he, it, it's something, it goes something like, if it's made, if it's made in a factory, it's something about like, if it's, if it's made in a factory, mm. don't eat it. If it comes from the ground, do, you know, but like right. that, that, yeah, that concept of like, if it's, if it comes out of a box, it did not start like that. There's so many, you know, iterations of what that, of what that food has gotten to, you know, to, to be where it is now. But if it grew out of the ground, you know, for the most, that's a whole food. It, it, that's the way that it, it came out. Um, the other thing about those, you know, even keto friendly because of the net carbs on the front of the package, they're not naturally satiating so our bodies are really really smart they have you know they have amino acid protein needs they have micronutrient vitamin and mineral needs if i'm i don't care how many calories i eat if i'm not hitting what my body naturally needs it's going to tell me to eat more so you know it doesn't matter what the you know carb load is or calorie count or whatever on those box keto foods we overeat them because they're not naturally satiating. But a massive bowl of kale and steak and avocados and olives and olive oil and feta cheese and this massive, you know, salad, beautiful concoction, that'll keep me full for hours. I'm not going to overeat that. Right. I, yeah, I talk about it all the time is like if you eat based off of uh, nutrient density, uh, it's going to just fill you up and you won't be able to eat anymore. Um, and if you, I think the key is doing it for like a longer period of time. Maybe if you, if you've been eating a standard diet for a while, you know, go for a month without cheating. And almost like we talk about like healing the gut, you need to sort of heal the gut so you can sort of know what true, you know, when you're truly full, um, and then listening to that. Um, cause I, I do a, quite a bit of fasting. And of course, if you're going to have a meal or two meals a day and that's it, or even, you know you're going to want to eat things that are nutrient dense because then you're waiting another, however many hours before you eat again. Absolutely. I mean, and that's one of the things, you know, again, kind of going back to, you know, who's keto right for, um, I have dealt in my, in my career with a lot of people that struggle from either binge eating or, you know, chronic obesity and keto is the first time that they've felt naturally satiated. Right. And, you know, historic diet culture is eat less, count your calories, go low fat, all of these things make us crave more food. But when you're eating things that naturally satisfy your body, and you can listen to those hunger cues, it is such a beautiful aha moment for so many people that have struggled with poor relationships with food and eating behavior for years. Mm-hmm. And you know, I love it when I'm working with somebody that is, you know, yo-yo dieted their entire life, really struggled with this, you know, felt shame. What is wrong with me? Why can't I eat less? Why am I overeating? And to say like, yeah, wow, I ate that nutrient-dense food, like a perfect word, you know, I ate that nutrient-dense food and I wasn't hungry for the next four hours. But, or I didn't need to finish all of that because I was full. I felt great. You know, who doesn't overeat a bag of Doritos? Like nobody opens up a a box of Oreos and eats one, you know? So like those foods are made to be addictive. Those foods are made for us to overeat them. Um, And, and so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of like the, the lovely piece of when I eat nutritious, satiating, good foods, 
it, it totally flips that, that poor relationship that people have with eating, which is just, it's great to see. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. And, and, and usually you run into trouble when you're having foods that are high fat, high carb, right? Those, right. Yeah. Those two well, combined. And that's, and that's the, yeah. People are like, well, you know, fat, I've been told that's terrible my entire life. Well, yeah, you know, a McDonald's milkshake that's high in fat, but loaded with sugar or a Twinkie, you know, th that is right. different than an avocado that's high in fat. Right. Exactly. And, um, what would you say some of the, the biggest mistakes, I know you've touched on a little bit that people do when they, when they want to go keto. I know we talked a little bit about that, but would you say some of the biggest mistakes are? Um, one of the, not getting enough fat. Um, okay. that's the biggest thing that I see. Uh, I think people mistake keto with low carb and while keto is low carb, it's really high in fat. And for a lot of people, especially, you know, women, you know, who have yo-yo dieted and been told their entire life to eat fat free food and that fat is going to make them fat, telling them to get majority of their calories from fat is, is it's a really hard concept for people to grasp. And right. so, um, a lot of people are like, Hey, I'm doing keto. It's just not working for me. What are you eating? You know, like it's basically vegetables and meat and that's it. And there's, you know, it's lean, it's chicken breast and steamed right. broccoli. Really lean, and I'm really lean. And meat, I'm, and I'm no hungry fat, right. and I'm not seeing any of these benefits. And, and now I'm hungry. And so now I'm snacking all day and there's never any break of food. I'm getting, you know, that insulin response all day long. Cause and I'm just eating nuts all day long. Cause somebody told me that those were keto. So it's, <laughs> Now, but, but if I had like taken that broccoli and, you know, chicken and made a chicken thighs and loaded it with pesto and I have oil all over my broccoli, I'm not going to be hungry for nuts at 2 p.m. You know, so not getting enough fats, number one. Um, and that is, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around. But, yeah. you know, w when, when I formulate a diet with people and a meal plan and help them understand how to get those fats, then they're like, whoa, I can't believe it worked. I can't, I can't believe like, you know, I feel better and lost weight eating more fat. Like I can't believe that that happened. Um, that's one. Another one is trying to do it all. It's like too fast. Mm. So you talked about intermittent fasting. That's very common on a ketogenic diet. The main reason is because you're just not as hungry all the time. Right. It becomes easy. Um, but, but people try to dive like headfirst into doing everything at once. And I believe that, you know, kind of, shrinking your eating window or whatever that looks like happens naturally over time and slowly because you've already made a ketogenic transition and you're eating that way anyway. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. I was just say a lot of times it's just small changes to your diet. It could be just literally just implementing like the things that you're talking about. It could be putting a full fat, you know, some type of full fat cheese into, into your salad or adding avocado or olives onto the salad or sprinkling olive oil, like these are small little simple things and they can go a long way. Yeah. And, and in that vein, you know, we were talking a lot around keto, but I, I kind of think everybody should segue into not necessarily keto. We're not counting ratios, but most yeah. of what I eat are quality proteins, non-starchy vegetables and heart healthy fat. It doesn't have to be 75% of my diet from fat. But, but what you learn is that, but like you said, by adding those things into my salad, by making sure I include those, I feel better. I'm fuller longer. I don't snack on junk. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and, and then that, I would say the, a third thing that people, um, 
you know, struggle with or is, is a barrier for them is, yeah, is keto junk food because you know mm-hmm. what? It's, it's a money-making business right now. Um, and yeah, keto treats and keto sweets and here's my keto brownies. And, you know, and, and I think it's this idea of you, and, and gluten kind of got this, like, you know, what, a mm-hmm. decade ago? If it said gluten-free, it was automatically healthy, right. you know? And I'm right. like, you know, candy's gluten-free also, it doesn't make it a whole food. Right. Um, but, you know, people say, oh, but it says keto and it's keto-friendly. And then all of a sudden they're having keto treats after every single meal. And I'm like, would you eat a regular brownie after lunch, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner and expect to be losing weight? Like, no, like that's still, it's still calories. It's still energy that your body does not need just because it says keto on it doesn't make it necessary, you know? Right. So, and, and, and that's, you know, that's the fault of marketing and all this stuff being available where people do get away from whole foods. They do get away from kind of sense of, yeah, I probably shouldn't be having dessert after every single meal. <laughs> yeah. I've had some of those keto snacks before in general, and they're all, they're pretty, uh, yeah, they do a good job of making them, um, wanting, making you wanting to eat them more and more. That's for sure. More. Well, and, and yeah. so that's, you know, so, you know, artificial sweeteners and whether we want to call them artificial or natural or whatever, you know, so sugar alcohols and stevia and all those things that are naturally occurring, but they're still artificial in my yeah. mind. Um, they still trigger you to crave sweet. So just because you're not eating sugar, it has that psychological addictive nature of now everything needs to be sweet. So now mm-hmm. my beverage needs to be artificially sweetened. Like this needs to be. And then all of a sudden it excites some of that appetite for more and more and more. So, you yeah. know, it doesn't have that necessarily, um, you know, physical addiction that sugar does, but it's still, yeah, this is juicy. I want more, you know, and now I'm eating out of desire versus actual need. Yeah. Um, I had, um, Jen Stevens on here. I don't know if you're familiar with Jen Stevens. She's a, a big, a big fasting advocate, but we talked about having like, you know, clean fast, a clean fast and what's a clean fast. And uh, what's happened a lot of times is people will add things into while they're in their fasting times that have those sweeteners in it and that, oh yeah, there's no calories, but it, it, it triggers, it triggers your, you know, your, your hunger and it triggers you to actually want to consume food. So it makes fasting more difficult as if, you know, you're better off just not having those, those sweetened foods with, uh, you know, erythrit, what is that? I can pronounce it. Erythritol. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Which erythritol. is like, I think like in everything now, you know? You yeah. And I mean, that's there. like, so like erythritol, mannitol, sorbitol, all those sugar alcohols are huge gut disruptors. Right. So I'm like, especially if we, if, you know, talking about dealing with like gut issues, like adding in sugar alcohols is like one of the worst things you can do. Um, but you know, yeah. It, it, and, and one of the beautiful things about pulling sugar out of your diet is that when you eat a strawberry or you, you know, you mm-hmm. get like a, a ripe peach or something, it tastes, so sweet mm. and so amazing and you have so much more a better receptor for natural low sugar foods but when you're constantly giving your palate fake stuff you lose that you know right. and and so it, it is that you're right it makes it it's like you know i guess like you're quitting smoking and you're you know doing fake cigarettes it just make you think about the cigarette the other cigarette right mm-hmm. um so yeah i'm i'm i think I think keto treats have a place. And in all the cookbooks I do, you know, offer up some ideas. 
one of my suggestions is, you know, make a batch of whatever your favorite, you know, whether it's a sweeter like fat bomb or, you know, keto cookie or whatever, and keep it in your freezer. So that a lot of times I'm having a craving, you know, for whatever reason, it's stress or is it hormonal, but I'm, I'm craving something sweet. Sometimes just knowing you have an option, you're like, okay, yeah, I don't need to go out and get anything. I have something here. I'm going to be okay. Or maybe I have like one of those and I'm fine. But, but viewing that as like a daily occurrence can definitely kind of get people in a, in a bad place with it. Yeah, for sure. And I would say that, you know, you make a good point. It's like, um, if you eat really clean, like we're talking for a while, and then you have something sweet, it, oh, it's almost too sweet. Um, I find that for myself, if I like try something, I think I tried, I don't even know, it was like a key lime pie, just like a little piece yeah. of it. I was like, wow, I was like, that is just, <laughs> Woo, yeah, I had sweet. like a, a bite of my, you know, like, you know, an ice cream cone at the beach or something. And I'm like, whoa, how are yeah. you? I'm so thirsty all of a sudden. It's like, how are you eating that? Um, you know, and, and another strategy too is, you know, just if, if you're making a keto recipe and it says use a half a cup of, you know, swerve, use less, use a, right. like, it's not in there because of any sort of chemical reason. It's there for the sweetness. So ratchet it down. I always suggest in my books too, like use more natural flavoring. So spices like add, add cinnamon in or use like almond extract, or I love citrus zest is a great addition to things that like bulk up the flavor without adding any sort of sweetener or anything like that in there. Um, so kind of like, yeah, you know, and, and test yourself, like as I kind of ratchet down the level of sweetness, can I get away with significantly less and still feel like it's a sweet treat? Yeah. Yeah. And just a change of topic. I wanted to ask you, I saw on your website, um, keto diet and libido. Yeah. <laughs> I was so like, oh, this will be a good one to talk about. Yeah. Well, that interesting. That was a um I want to pop sugar maybe article that yeah. they had had asked me kind of, you know, what's we've heard, what's the connection, right? So <laughs> admittedly, that was not my <laughs> choice topic. Um, but you know, yeah, absolutely. Energy. Like so I think some of the topics I talked about in there. Um, increased energy, mental clarity. Another one too, like keto naturally, you know, improves body composition when done the right way over time right. with an active lifestyle. So when I, you know, have lost some of my belly weight and I feel better about myself naked, I feel much more compelled to be naked with my partner, you know, so sure. feeling better about yourself, having that energy. There's also a big connection to, um, to, to hormonal balance, like mainly with women, that's where I work mostly, um, but in men as well. So, you know, we talk about carbohydrates, they invoke this insulin response constantly. We're being, you know, bombarded with insulin all the time. We develop insulin resistance. That's topic, another topic, but insulin's a hormone. So when I'm, I kind of use the analogy of like constantly pressing that gas pedal, mm -hmm it burns out, but it also has an effect on my other hormones. So a lot of times with women, we can balance out a lot of those sex hormones with just not having this like inundation of carbohydrates and insulin all the time. So for a lot of women, it can kind of help balance some of those hormones out, which, you know, gives, gives me um, better sex drive as well. Yeah. It's all tied together, right? <laughs> it's all tied together. And I mean, you know, that is why I love nutrition so much and why I believe food is medicine. You know, before I became a dietitian, I believed 
healthy food was, was lifestyle and medicine. And being able to share that with people um, and, and, you know, understanding that, yeah, I don't need a litany of medications to band-aid my problems. Right. I right. need to fix, fix my problems from the inside out. Yeah. So true. And um, one of the questions I like to ask towards the end is all my guests, pretty much all my guests, I asked, what would be one tip you'd give an individual they wanted to get their body back to what it once was 10, 15, even 20 years ago, what would be like one tip you'd give that individual? Uh, number one, focus on nutrition. So um, oftentimes, oh, I should join the gym. I should move my body more, you know, Mm-hmm. body composition change, weight loss, all of those things is like 80% nutrition and 20%, um, yeah. you know, physical activity. You cannot run a bad diet, especially when I'm like, I don't want to look like I did when I was 20 and I'm 50. Well, guess what? I can't, I can't abuse myself and get away with it anymore. Right. So really focusing on what goes in is imperative. Um, I also think kind of looking at it again from a holistic nutrition is very important, but a holistic approach too. I also need to, like, I need to figure out what does my movement look like? What does my stress look like? What does my sleep look like? All of these things have huge impacts. And again, when, when I was in my twenties, stress, I mean, what was I stressed about? Things I, that I wouldn't blink an eye about now. Right. right? So, you know, kind of looking at these other lifestyle factors, um, but, you know, and then, and then being kind to yourself. So Rome was not built in a day. You're not going to like lose 25 pounds in a week. It's not going to happen. And if you do, it will disrupt your metabolism. <laughs> um, it's going to be a slower process. But being committed to that lifestyle and behavior change, especially when it's relating to nutrition, that's where you get to that place you want to be and you sustain it. You don't look back. That's great. Yep. A lot of good tips there. (laughs) A lot of good tips. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Molly, where's the best place for people to learn more about you and your services and things like that? Uh, Yes, probably you can look at my website. So that's um, msdmsdnutrition.com. You can also shoot me an email at hello at msdnutrition.com. I do work with uh, clients, like I said, nationwide on nutrition counseling. Most insurance plans do cover nutrition counseling at 100%. So most of the clients that I work with, there's no out-of-pocket expense for them. Um, and, you know, that's kind of one of the silver linings of the past couple of years of everything being virtual is that telehealth is normal now. Um, so everybody's used to it. They're comfortable with it. And insurance companies are reimbursing for it. Um and yeah, so shooting me an email with any sort of interest. Um, I also, you know, quick questions I can always uh, answer over email as well. Um, but yeah, if, if you're interested in something like a deeper dive, likely you have some semblance of coverage for that. Awesome. Well, Molly, this was a great interview. I uh, appreciate you coming on. So thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brian. Hey, Get Lean, Eat Clean Nation. Are you a man between the ages of 40 and 60 years old? looking to lose inches around your waist, have significantly more energy throughout the day, and gain muscle, all while minimizing the risk of injuries? Well, I'm looking for three to five people to work one-on-one with in my Fat Burner Blueprint Signature Program, which I've developed by utilizing my 15 years experience in the health and fitness space. This program is designed specifically for those 
committed to making serious progress towards our health goals over the next six months. We will focus on sleep, stress, nutrition, meal timing, and building lean muscle. If this sounds like a fit for you, email me at brian at briangrin.com with the subject line blueprint. That's brian at briangrin.com with the subject line blueprint. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.